and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, yes. how you doing? I'm doing great. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, yeah, I had a, had a, had a good uh, day at work. Busy. I like to be busy. I like yeah. to keep myself busy. Keeps the uh, keeps my demons quiet. Uh, as really long cool. as I'm, right. I'm busy and my mind is preoccupied. Yeah. Um, I'm like uh, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, coating the wall in blood. Absolutely. Um, to keep the demon uh, at, at bay. Um and uh really really looking forward oh wait <laughs> i don't know what your top of the show topic is and i realize i might be about to step on it it can't possibly okay uh really really looking forward to this matrix reboot oh can't wait to see the new matrix with uh michael b jordan apparently um <laughs> i saw that they were rebooting it or and i just thought like oh, all right whatever who cares yeah it's been who cares indeed it's been 18 years since um, the first one so you know Hey, we had a good run. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, definitely looking forward to taking my child to see Logan because it's a comic book movie, right? Obviously. Every time, every time these stories pop up, I don't know if you follow like, but like every time there's a comic book movie that's rated R, you hear stories about parents who are just completely blindsided. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. It's like at a certain point, like, Look, you're a person who decided you understood the world enough that you were ready to pass your wisdom on to another generation. Yeah, yeah. You can't figure out how to read the fucking rating on a movie or research a movie before you take your kid to it. I don't know. This is the second week in a row that we're like two non-parents uh, talking about parents at the movies. But uh, come on. I don't know. I, I just I don't I don't get it. You don't research the movie you want to take your kids to. I don't get it. Yeah, it's. Well, here's the thing. If it's it's one thing if you take your kids to it and you don't care what it is that is on the screen, but when you show up and then you think, what, what, what is this? What's this now? That's different. Right. You know, uh, but yeah, it does seem, okay, yes, I'm not a parent yet, um, and uh, but based on friends and again uh as part of the christian community there's definitely uh i don't know maybe it's honestly maybe maybe that's it maybe i grew up in a community that paid way too close of attention to ratings um and so people always knew what something was rated they always knew that if it's an r rating you don't take your kids and stuff like that um maybe most people don't really either don't care or it just doesn't occur to them but it does seem to me yeah, that maybe like, that's why once you have kids that yeah, that's a, maybe that's why it's hard for me to wrap my head around too because my parents always knew what movies yeah. uh, were rated yeah uh, yeah they were, it was a big deal but also it could just be that in the same way and okay so now that we've told people how to raise their kids let's let's I'm going to expand a little bit uh, I think you and I just uh, know how to watch movies. Uh, I think we just know what movies are and I, okay, so I'm being facetious, but I will say that you and I've talked in the past that there are things that you and I, and just, and movie fans just know to look for. Uh And the idea that, Oh, a comic book movie can mean any number of things at this point. That's something that we have taken for granted. Um, but for most people, well, a comic book movie, I know what that is. Uh, yeah. And an X-Men movie. I know what that is. This is admittedly the first R rated film in 17 years of the X-Men franchise. But here's the weird thing. Okay. They know enough about it. Apparently to know that it's an X-Men movie. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like this isn't someone who just walked up to the ticket booth with their kid, because if that, 
if that was all it was, they wouldn't know to look at the thing that says Logan and know that's an X-Men movie or know that's a comic book movie. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. So they know enough to know, Oh, this is the new Wolverine movie. And yet somehow the fact that it's rated R is completely just not like made it through the filter, I guess. I'm sure they saw a, a trailer and, or they saw posters and they saw the claws and it says Hugh Jackman and they're okay. like, okay, Logan, well, I know that his name is Logan. Okay. Um, but yeah. And so in a way I am defending them, but in another way I'm saying, uh, you know, no more about movies, uh, be better, be like me. Yeah. Yeah. And be a better parent. Uh, okay. I as a, as a I was about to say single guy. I've been married almost twelve years, but uh, but as a non parent, I I know how you should how you should do things, uh, including how you should uh, spend your hard earned <laughs> dollar. Indeed, which is on our sponsors. That's right. The first of which is the Kickstarter for Hard Road, a twenty minute drama about the intersection of choice, fate, and tradition. It centers around Kylie, a young woman who experiences pregnancy, marriage, and loss culminating in a heartbreaking heartbreaking tragedy that she must weather with patience and strength. A touching story with a strong female lead and featuring, and uh, the director mentioned this to me and I went on to look it up, and it's actually very interesting, uh, The uh, an award-winning director of photography, uh, Hard Road's Kickstarter campaign will en- will last until the end of the month. Click on the ad at battleshipretention.com for more details. But, David, that's not all. This episode is also brought to you by Mubi. A curated online... So I'm going to try and say it bigger and bigger every time. I do put it in all caps here. Like um, Mubi is a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Okay, so right now on Mubi, you can watch uh, Angela Ismailos's, sorry, I don't know if that's, it's I-S-M-A-I-L-O-S. Okay. Ismailos. Sounds uh, good to me. Angela Ismailos's Great Directors, a documentary that celebrates some of the best filmmakers of all time, uh, and it interviews a good number of them, along with Pip Shodorov's Free Radicals, which gives an overview of some of the leading figures in experimental film. If you are a movie fan, and I'm going to assume that you are if you listen to Battleship Pretension, yeah. uh, then these movies are for you. And there is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try movie free for a month. Just go to movie.com. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship. That's very important. Slash Battleship to redeem now. Do that. Um, real quick. Well, I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. But okay. also, do you remember that band, The New Radicals? They had yes. that, that one-hit wonder? What was the one hit? I don't remember. Well, what, am I going to sing it? You, you, that doesn't work for you. Yeah, but what's the, what's the title of it? I don't know. Okay. It's, yeah. Um, don't let go. You got the music in here. No. Nah, nah. And it has the part where he raps about Courtney Love and Marilyn Manson. I don't remember that part, but it's, I do know the part you're talking about. Oh. Now, I've always said, mm-hmm. and I stand by this, Paul McCartney's Christmas song is the worst song of all time. Close second is that new radical song. I think I hate that song so much. And I was at a bar a, about a week and a half ago. It finds a lot of trailers. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I was uh, I was at a bar about a week and a half ago, and it was it came on, and I uh, had this conversation. I was going to say with my wife, but I think to, at my wife, I said this stuff. <laughs> she's like, I don't care. Uh, I don't think I don't think I can. Uh, I don't think I could place what I think is uh, the worst song of all time. There is like, is there a song that you reach to turn off if it, if it comes on or you reach to put, Oddly if, enough, you're, if you're at the mall 
I don't know why you're at the mall. Yeah. Um, and it's, and then you hear a song, are you reaching for your headphones to listen to something else and block it out for any song? Cause I will absolutely do that at Christmas time. If the Paul McCartney song comes on, there are a number of songs from musicals that I don't like. Hmm. Um, but it more has to do with like, oh, I'm hearing character. I've said this before on the show, like, oh, characters are singing. But characters often have annoying voices like, oh, a goofy character is now singing this thing in this high pitched, screechy voice that w- which is much more acceptable in the context of me sitting and watching the musical. But this is not a and I recognize I listen to Tom Waits, but he at least is a musician first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I will say this, that there is a Christmas song that I abhor is it dominic the donkey because that, i don't a, like that's the, a very annoying song. i don't like that one but uh no it is actually the beach boys uh um, little saint nick little saint nick yeah, i hate song. that song i mean and i like christmas music i'm kind of a sucker for christmas music but that song where one of the lyrics is christmas comes this time each year now if you'd said christmas comes but once a year okay that i get because that is, let's cherish it. Uh-huh. But comes this time each year. Yeah. Got it. We know that. That is that is a <laughs> worthless lyric. <laughs> you, you had lyrics, precious lyric space, and you chose to fill it with, Christmas comes this time each year. Ugh. Um, oh, I hate that song. So you know what? That's I hate okay, that song. Okay, that's it. Uh, both Christmas songs. You know, another song or a band I don't like. Your, your funny voice thing made me think about this. I've never been a fan of the band. Okay. You know? I I mean I know the probably their biggest hit is the weight, which is that's I, a good song. I do think that's a good song, but it has the part that cr- makes me cringe. Hey, wait a minute, Chester. Yes. Speaking of silly voices. Yeah. No, thanks. I said, wait a minute, Chester. It's like, Oh, yeah. did you say it like that? <laughs> yeah. 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 Chester Were you trying to make Chester laugh? Yeah. No, Chester should have bopped you in the nose, um, for that. Uh, yeah. Okay. But now you'll notice I got some stealth marketing in there earlier when I said Indeed. them all you put in your, right. Your earbuds. Obviously those are tweaked audio.com earbuds because tweakedaudio.com is where you go for the best earbuds in town. Uh, they're professional quality earbuds. They come in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors and they look great and sound great. Uh, and you want to use them to block out everything you don't want to hear, be it musicals or Paul McCartney or, or, or whatever. Um, uh, and you can find them for a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that already low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I have little St. Nick stuck in my head now. And as great as yeah. tweaked audio, audio earbuds are, they can't block out what's in my head. Yeah, you need earbuds for your brain. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and you know what? They're all, as it turns out, they're just shaped like bullets. <laughs> um <laughs> That's one of my favorite uh, 
Aqua Teen Hunger Forces thing is uh, Carl talking about. He's got a song in my head. It's like, I'm going to have to get it out with a bullet. <laughs> um, okay. So here's the thing, David. The other day, I don't remember exactly what sparked this, but uh, it is a thing that there are probably versions of this. It's a conversation that, that film people have. And I have, uh, it's not even really a game. It's just a thing to do. And so while I was in class the other day, when I, yes, should have been listening, (laughs) here's what I was actually doing. I was making a little note on my phone for this thing called This or That. Okay. Where I take two movie-related things that are very similar, and I am asking you, which do you choose? Do you prefer this or that? That's all it is. Okay. This sounds like it could be a whole episode. Like a fun episode. Yes, it does. But I would need to come up with a, if it's going to be a whole episode, it needs to be more than I have here. And I wasn't going to read all of these to you. I was going to pick just a couple. Yeah. And, save the rest of them for when we do this episode. Right. Or maybe we can do it with a guest. You yeah. know, we could have, uh, uh, Pat Healy on and that. Sure. Ask him a series of this or that. Sure. Or maybe it could be a thing we ask all, like it could be an ongoing thing, uh, that we ask all our guests. Yeah. They, in many cases, Look they would it, have to be film guests. Yeah, we're we're just uh, brainstorming here on the podcast. This yeah, is, this is how we come up with stuff for the podcast. That's that is mostly true. Yes. Um, so now, what I've found is that part of the fun here is less the choosing, as as it is finding things that are similar. They could be movies. They could be directors. They could be actors. Okay. They could be composers, whatever it is. The idea is, you know, you don't compare, you don't say, do you prefer Edward G. Robinson or Kathy Bates? You don't compare those because you have to compare Edward G. Robinson to say Peter Lorre, like dependable character actors of the time. Which one do you like? Which one do you prefer of those two? Now, some of these, as I was going through them, like, I don't know what I would say because they're very difficult. Now, the mo- and so I'll, I'll read off, I'll say, f- I'll read five. Okay, let's go. And I'll, yeah. I'll throw them to you. I'll go with the obvious ones. Okay. Chaplin or Keaton? Uh, Keaton. Okay, me too. Yeah. Third option, Lloyd, not an option. Otherwise, okay. that's probably what I would say. Okay, so let's, okay. Pacino or De Niro? Ooh, um, I'm probably gonna go with Pacino. Is my mind is taking me? I think I would too, but honestly, I'll bet most film people would say De Niro. Mean, mean Streets is great. He's great in Mean Streets. And uh, but King of Comedy yeah. and Raging Bull, like he's great. But I, I think I prefer Pacino. Not just he's got the Godfather movies, but also Dog Day Afternoon, which yeah. is uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Maybe. Yeah. And as much as I don't like Scarface, it's not because of him. <laughs> right. it, that's a really great. I forget that he's in that. No. Of course, he is Scarface, but right. I, I keep forgetting. Uh, okay, so uh, I will jump down here. Um, Matt Damon or Leonardo DiCaprio? Um, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm surprising myself here going with my gut reaction. I'm going to go with Leo. Okay, see, I go Matt Damon. Um, all right, let's do this. This is a tough one, David. Okay. Hitchcock or Ford? Um, Hitchcock. I think Hitchcock for me as well. But I that might be because I haven't seen enough John Ford. I've seen a fair amount, but yeah. I think I just prefer the types of movies that Hitchcock makes. I think what it comes down to, and this is a weird thing to say about either of these directors, but I think it comes down to sense of humor. And I think Hitchcock's films tend to be darkly funny in sure. a way that I really respond to. Yeah. 
there is often a sense of humor in in John Ford films. I remember yeah, oh, somebody's the, fiddle. The Searchers is, is way uh, yeah. funnier than people give it credit for. Yeah. But I'm saying I, I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm saying type of humor, and I think there's a uh, a, a sort of. Uh, poison sense of humor to alfred hitchcock sure um that i really like okay uh, lady vanishes is a super funny movie too i'm going to go with a really big film nerd one okay lang or murnau um man do i go with my gut here because i think um i love fritz lang and i think like metropolis alone is I probably like it more than I like any individual Murnau yeah. work, but I think taken as a whole, I probably have to go with Murnau. I think I go with Murnau as well, but of course I love, I don't love Metropolis. I really like it. I do love M and I do love Scarlet street, hmm. but I also love sunrise hmm. and I love the last laugh and then I'm not, it's weird. The two big ones, the ones that people associate, I don't love Metropolis and I don't love Nosferatu. It's their, it's their other films that I tend to respond more to, but I think I probably prefer her now as well. Um, and I probably, I've, we did an early, early ish profile episode of FW Murnau now uh, yeah. back when I still had time to do more research. And so I ended right. up watching a bunch of stuff that I hadn't seen, like, um, uh, city girl, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, the what's it called the finances of the duke which is an fw Murnau comedy which uh, is not something you see a lot of yeah but it's actually a really fun movie uh, and also uh, a really underrated one i think it's called it's called phantom is that what it's called um i did a monday movie about it uh, oh, okay. a couple of years ago um on the on the website uh anyway uh, is that it uh i'll do one more Oh, okay then we gotta move on and i think this one will be challenging for you but i'm not sure tom cruise or denzel washington denzel washington for sure yeah that's interesting i thought i thought you would be more conflicted on that one um i mean i do like tom cruise uh a lot and he seems to um i i think the difference is that i think tom cruise is really good at picking roles that he knows he'll be good at right whereas denzel washington i think can do anything and i think I've been surprised by Denzel Washington more often. Like if you look at the um, Manchurian candidate remake, right? Like he makes choices that are, that you might describe as being undenzel uh, yeah. in that, in that movie. Um, and it's, and it's fascinating to watch. So um, I'm going to go with Denzel. I think I would prefer Denzel as well. But then the question then is Tom Cruise movies or Denzel Washington movies. What do you mean? As far like, as like types of movie? Yeah. Like it, when you look at their, their overall careers, which oh, I see like Who has more good movies. Is that what you're saying? Or which ones would you rather see? I don't think that I, I, I can't imagine Denzel Washington being in a movie that I don't want to see. Okay. Fair enough. I, I think that's, yeah. Uh, so I think I'm still going to have to go with him. Cause I even like stuff like, you know, two guns and safe house and like yeah. those, uh, I liked unstoppable weird little, I never saw unstoppable, but, um, uh, yeah. So that, that was not as difficult as you thought it would be. For yeah. Me. Um, um, yeah. DiCaprio and, and Damon was actually more difficult than, uh, than I thought it was going to be, uh, for you. Um, did you think I was going to go with, Leo? I thought, I, th- uh, I thought you were actually going to go with Matt Damon, but I thought it'd be difficult. And, but then you actually went with Leo, which surprised me. Um, but so I, can, I, have, I think it's, like movie to movie, there are probably more Matt Damon movies and performances that I like overall. But, um, 
and I guess it's maybe this is just about me, um, uh, something about my personal taste. I'm trying to think when I was last like surprised by a Matt Damon performance by choices. Maybe True Grit is the last one where I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's interesting, and I really like it. And you never saw The Informant, did you? Uh, I never. See, I should probably see The Informant. That's yeah. that's a big one for me. Um, but um, Leo in. Django Unchained is a towering performance. One of the best performances of the last five years, I think. Yeah, I'd say in that, I think he's marvelous, not in a way that necessarily surprised me. Wolf of Wall Street surprised me. Hmm. Um, just, I mean, obviously he could carry a movie, but it's a long movie and it's a silly performance. In, 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 but like in an intense way, it's just yeah. there's, a, there's a very specific type of, of energy needed yeah. for that film and and he has it so i have many many more of these yeah, but, well, uh, but i'm a big f- so listeners in the ones that i listed which let me see if i can remember them chaplin or keaton pacino or de niro uh hitchcock or ford fritz lang or fw murnau tom cruise or denzel washington i think those are the only ones i said right uh, i think so uh and then i have some that are actual like movies um okay give me one goodfellas or the godfather uh you know, I haven't seen The Godfather in so long. I should probably rewatch it. Yeah. So I'll say Goodfellas with an asterisk. Yeah. Because I really do need to rewatch Good Godfather. Yeah, for me, this is always The Godfather because I would ne- I've never been that big of a fan of Goodfellas. But I know that for a lot of people, Goodfellas is like one of the best movies they've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I know that, uh, you know, it's, it's, all, it's also interesting for me to see how quickly people will respond in certain regards you know right like if you okay so one of them here is jaws or jurassic park now for me it's jaws immediately it there's not even yeah. a question but i think for a lot of people our age i feel like they would choose jurassic park quickly i i don't know which one interesting pick, actually <sighs> yeah i guess i know that like the importance of jaws in in terms of uh, you know the history of cinema and, yeah. and, and the path that studio filmmaking took because of it. Um, but as you know, I'm always a little bit let down by the second half of Jaws, as we talked mm. about uh, before, because I like it when it's a horror movie more than when it's an adventure movie. Right. Um, and I guess Jurassic Park, which also has its own problems, um, it doesn't have a that big a tonal shift halfway through that like it doesn't throw me off so it feels more cohesive i guess and i guess i don't so see maybe it. i would it, okay okay the film buff in me is going to say jaws personally if you hand me a dvd of each and say which one do you want to watch i'm probably going to throw in jurassic park and that's interesting um because for me i don't care about any character in jurassic park as much as i care about quint sure yeah he is so fat and and on and as much as I like Bob Peck's performance, there's a Quint type character in Jurassic Park, which is Muldoon. Yeah, but he's nothing. The the only character everybody's very good in it. Don't get me wrong, but the character people remember is Jeff Goldblum, and then to a lesser extent, I'd say Richard Attenborough. You and I like Laura Dern as of an course, actress, of course, and she does good stuff. Yeah, and again, there are there are there are memorable character archetypes in Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. whereas. 
Chief Brody isn't necessary. I love his performance and I like that character and that he really is very much an everyman who's just in the midst of this situation that is so far beyond him. And then I like that Hooper is a very specific type of scientist and he's not the stereotypical scientist. He's this young guy with his beard, you know, he's just enthusiastic. And then I'd say Quint is something of an archetype, but Robert Shaw does such specific things with his performance. And the fact that you've got these three guys and I don't see it as a tonal shift because it happens the moment Quint is introduced and he's such a powerhouse Mm. that now that a new element is introduced, which allows for me uh, a more seamless transition from one to another. But that makes sense. So Maybe I just like the horror movie part. I like, well, I can't, I, like I can't argue with you there. Like an eight year old kid getting ripped apart by a, yeah. a shark. That for um, some reason that, uh, it's gets just my motor running. <laughs> <laughs> but you see the element. Okay. So you see the nature of this or that it's not merely do you, something you like versus something else you like. Yeah. They do have to be very similar and very specific. Yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. uh, listeners feel free to, to, to weigh in, in the comments on which of those you prefer or you can you can submit your own this or that that'll be fun um i mentioned a monday movie earlier i'm still trying to get back to doing that actually every monday but i did one this past monday about uh, excalibur which is um uh a beautiful masterpiece uh mm-hmm. in my in my uh, opinion uh what else is going on, on the website um Let's see. Sarah's still working her way through the top 100 movies. She's in the in the uh, in the low 80s as of, as of the time you're hearing this. Um, um, Jim is uh, still being subjected to Kim Ki Duck movies. Uh, yeah, he's got one more to go. He did uh, uh, Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring, mm-hmm. um, which is probably the most famous Kim Ki Duck uh, movie. Uh, he's got one more to go. Uh, Pieta um, got a couple of home video reviews. We went for a weird like dry period for the we yeah. didn't have home video reviews, but Matt. Uh, Matt Bradley, um, um, reviewed Joe Bullet and, uh, Scott reviewed, uh, 1 million years BC. Um, Alex wrote about the 47 Ronin. I reviewed, um, Francois Ozone's France, um, sequel cast, uh, talked about the RoboCop remake yeah. that everyone forgot. We debuted a new column. There's a new monthly column, which yeah. I'm really uh, excited about from, from speaking of Jim, uh, Jim Rohner is doing a, um, column called crossing the streams, which is just a mon- monthly sort of look at, uh, what's new to streaming, what's expiring from streaming and just some other, um, ongoing streaming properties that, uh, the Jim, uh, recommends. So, um, it's called crossing the streams. We'll be doing it, uh, every, every month. Uh, and this week we have reviews of, uh, I said, Franz, we also have betting on zero and of course, beauty and the beast. So that's, what's going on at battleship retention.com. But the, the really, really thing, the thing we really want to tell you about over battleship retention.com is we're still celebrating our 10 year anniversary. Yes. Um, it being March, we started in March, 2007. It is currently March, 2017. Um, according to, uh, Batman villain calendar man. Sure. Um, <laughs> That was a conversation we had off mic, wasn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. Uh, So that was a callback to nothing. Um, uh, Does that happen? Sometimes I don't know uh, what we talked about. But uh, it is March 2017, and for the month of March, we're having a sale on all of our premium episodes. So you're talking our first uh, 40, which uh, have not been available in the feed for some time because we're embarrassed of them, and you have to pay to hear them. Um are two standalone premium premium episodes. The one, uh, a really fun one with Bill Dwyer. And then the one where we talked about the, uh, the movies of the year 2007, yeah. uh, which is one, of, uh, um, not as fitting because it's the year that we started the podcast, Indeed. but also, uh, probably the greatest, 
movie year um, in, the, the in the 21st years, century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say 2011 and uh, probably 2016 are both contenders, but uh, yeah, 2007 is up there. Um, and then we have our commentaries, which are marathon commentaries. If you're new, uh, we do these with a rotating uh, fan favorite uh, and per- our personal favorite guests come in and we record a day long uh, commentary. Uh, we've done the Lord of the Rings uh, movies. Mm-hmm. What else? We did um, the Alien series. Aliens. We did the Batman. Um, uh, Tim Burton, Burton, Joel Burton Schumacher. Schumacher. Uh, we did one on zombies, mm-hmm. um, and we did one on slashers. Right. Uh, and so everything I just mentioned: first forty, two premium episodes, and those five marathon commentary sets. Yeah. So we're talking about scores of hours of entertainment. Indeed flat rate $25 you get everything just yes. for the month of March just in celebration of our 10 year anniversary and also you're going to want to catch up on our all our premium stuff right. to get yourself in the mood for the next commentary marathon we're doing that's right um, which uh, Tyler will announce now yeah uh, so it's going to be available in a couple of weeks so uh, as a friend of the show Jimmy Pardo would say get your finances in order um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, so this is not going to be like the Batman movies. This is not going to be like the Alien films. This is going to be closer to the slasher uh, films in that this uh, there's a theme to the films. Right, uh, this is not a franchise or right. a series that we're looking at. Yet. Yes, these are movies that uh, I'm calling this uh, these uh, Space Invader movies. Uh-huh. So here's what we've got. We've got John, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. We've got John McTiernan's Predator. We have Roland Emmerich's Independence Day uh. and M. Night Shyamalan's Signs. So we'll be talking about all four of those movies in one day. Uh, for those that don't know, part of the fun is that David and I get punchier and punchier as the day goes on. Yeah. And by the time that fourth one rolls around, we're pretty much insane. Uh, yeah. But uh, but thankfully we do have guests every uh, thirty five to forty minutes to uh, to help out and uh, I'm very and I'm excited for for our slate of guests uh, in a couple of weeks so get ready for that we will make announcements on Facebook Twitter it'll be on the website and that will be ten dollars uh, to get all four yeah. or three dollars for each but we highly recommend getting them uh, as a package deal yeah that's how they're meant it saves a couple bucks and that's how they're meant to be heard indeed uh, so yeah get the you know. Spend the flat $25 to get everything we've ever done yeah. premium-wise. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, save, uh, set $10 aside in a couple weeks to get the, right. the Space Invaders commentaries. Indeed. So, Tyler. Yes? Let's get into it, shall we? All right. This episode is the uh, counterpart of last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Last, week, last week's episode, we took as our topic something that is empirically provable, right? Okay. We took directors who have only made one feature film. Okay. Right? That's something you can look up and say, yes, they only did that. Yeah. Now, well, it seems the counterpart to that would be something that is people that have made every movie. <laughs> that would be the, no, well, now what we're doing is we're talking about something that's a, a lot more subjective and we're getting some personal opinions and it's maybe a little bit mean, but we're going to talk about directors that we feel have only made one good movie. Yes. Um, and this was something that I, I think, like the thing we talked about with this or that earlier, a brainstorm that happened on Mike on the yeah. podcast because I talked about speed, which is, um, one of the, one of my personal favorite action movies uh, of all time. Mm. And the only really good movie that Jan Debont ever made, he went yeah. to make, went on to make, um, Twister and the haunting remake. Um, probably some other stuff that I'm forgetting in there, but, um, 
I guess let's just start with speed. Sure. How does that happen? How do you make a, this like essentially perfect action movie and then never, it never strikes again. It's just a, it's a great concept. It is a, it's a good script on top of everything else. I don't mean to, I feel like we don't talk enough about writing, uh, on this show. Um, because ultimately, yes, it's a, it's a director's medium and stuff, but there's something to be said for a solid screenplay. Speed is wonderfully structured. Mm-hmm. It has great characters. It has, as is necessary for a good action movie, it has a great villain with a great performance. Yeah. So it's all of these things coming together and a director that is that knows what to do with that. Yeah, um, so when you mentioned, when we were talking about our upcoming commentaries, you mentioned John McTiernan and yeah. John DeBond shot Die Hard. He was the cinematographer right. beforehand uh, and he clearly learned some things from John McTiernan uh you know about how to do do action and he made this movie sort of right after John McTiernan's legendary run yeah. of Predator, Die Hard and Hunt for Red October like any working director would have would kill right to yeah. have three movies in a row that are that good um, yeah movies that aren't merely good but probably probably inspired people to become directors yeah, yeah. Uh, or just or love movies and so then Jan de Bont, uh comes roaring out of the gate with this um, terrific action movie um, and yeah, definitely a big part of it has to, is the, is the screenplay, which I know I've told, told this story before, but mm-hmm. the, the credited writer is Graham Yost, who would go on to create, uh, TV shows like Boomtown and Justified right. and have a very successful career of his own. But even by his own admission, most of the things that you like and remember about speed were written by an uncredited Joss Whedon. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Um, and that's something I didn't know before. And then once you know that and you watch Speed again, it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. There's so many little... It's like when uh, you find out Tarantino worked on uh, Crimson, Crimson Tide. Tide. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I was wondering why they were talking so much about the Silver Surfer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a part in Speed where he's... Uh, when Keanu Reeves is looking under the, under the bus, um, it's right after he says fuck me and alan ruck goes oh darn yeah but he says there's enough c4 to put a hole in the world and a hole in the world is um would go on to be the name of a very memorable episode of angel Hmm. from the fifth season interesting anyway so uh i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with action for the time being okay i'm gonna mention uh, a director that people don't talk much about uh andrew davis okay who here's the thing I haven't seen all the movies uh, that he's made. I've seen a surprising number of them, to be honest with you. Um, But, uh, and I'm going to, I think what might be necessary here, as as you did with uh, Jan DeMont, is that um, we're going to have to list not their entire filmography, but some of the more notable films of their filmography. Now, Andrew Davis did direct Under Siege, which is a pretty good, it's okay. Okay. Uh, Now, the one we're talking about that's the good one is The Fugitive. Is The Fugitive, yes. Uh, In case... Uh, yeah, I was going to get to that. Date. Oh, okay. I didn't know if um, you thought you had. Uh, yeah, Under Siege is a is a serviceable film. It's a Steven Seagal film. Benefits from a good villain played by Tommy Lee Jones. Um, but in the end, it very much it falls under that heading of Die Hard on you know Die Hard on a blank. Right, in right, this right. case, it's a boat. Um, I've heard people say that Speed is Die Hard on a bus, but I'm like, I don't it's think so. Really. I feel like there's enough. 
there's enough of a hook there without viewing it that way. And also the premise of like, it's not like Keanu has to kill his way to the front of the bus and fight through bad right. guys, which is more of the diehard premise, right? Yeah. Is that I you're think, trapped in this, in one location with the bad guys. Yeah. I think part of the, I think part of the great thing about speed is how much of an ensemble it is mm-hmm. that it's Keanu Reeves, but he also has San, uh, Sandra Bullock and the, everybody on the bus, everybody. And then there's the other cops. Everybody is working together to stop one guy yeah. instead of one guy working to kill a bunch of bad guys. What was the website a few years ago, I guess for the, for the 20th anniversary of speed. Mm-hmm. Um, one website did like an oral history interview type thing with the people who are on the bus. Oh, because cool. even like the ones who don't have a line, they were there every day for the entire yeah. thing. So they all became like this big, this big, uh, uh, family. And there's like all sorts of pictures of them, like goofing around. They went and started uh, their own yeah, theater troupe after that. <laughs> yeah. It was a really fun, uh, article. And I can't remember what site that was. That, that sounds that. great. Uh, but yeah, so under siege definitely does fit into that. I would say that's the only film here. Uh, I liked holes. <sighs> It's holes is fine. Okay. You know, it's, that's the thing is that, uh, and you know, I didn't see a perfect murder. I actually heard that that is a trashy little noir throwback, but that it's also not that notable. People don't really talk about it that much. People talk about it because it's an early film with Gwyneth Paltrow and an early film with Viggo Mortensen. Um, but it was a, it was a Michael Douglas vehicle that, people don't remember. Um, and then there's collateral damage. And then in 2006, he made the guardian looking at, uh, movies coming up, uh, pretty boy Floyd and, uh, treasure Island. So definitely some higher profile things there, Mm -hmm. but you know, even if, even if holes is is perfectly fine. And even if under siege is perfectly fine, I mean, nothing, matches the fugitive. I mean, the fugitive is a, is a film that for me was, was formative as far as I think it's perfect. I think it is a perfect film. Um, it's, there's some action movie in there. There's thriller elements, but I'm invested in Richard Kimball. I'm invested in Sam Gerard, which is the Tommy Lee Jones character. Mm-hmm. It, great performances and just a really engaging story. And I just don't think that anything in Andrew Davis's filmography comes close to that. Um, okay. Uh, let's just go back and forth here. Okay. Um, I, last week we talked, when we talked about directors who only directed one movie, we talked a lot about actors. There are a lot of actors. Yeah. Um, I've got, I've got one here. Okay. I've got one here as well, which is a uh, French actor, Matthew Kasovitz, okay. Kasovitz who made Lahaine in 1995, okay. uh, which is a, uh, a, a, a great little, um, crime, I guess, uh, movie, but that's also very sort of, um, has a lot of, uh, social messaging to it. It's about a sort of group of kids from the, uh, Paris, like projects in the mm-hmm. fringes of Paris who go into spend a night in the, in the city itself around the, you know, uh, uh, uh around the, uh, bourgeoisie, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a very cool movie. And then he never went on He made, he's made more movies, but we're talking yeah. about like Gothica starring Holly Berry. That was, <laughs> oh, yeah. that was, that was him. Um, a movie I'd completely forgot, uh, Vin Diesel movie called Babylon, Babylon AD. Do you remember that? That was him. No. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't understand what, what, why his career went that way, you, you know? Um, 
it's sort of like uh now this is someone i like but the um uh, uh or or i don't love him but i like him a little bit the um and i'm baltazar comaker or whatever who okay. now makes studio movies he made two guns which you know i like uh his last one was a big studio movie everest um, oh yeah, yeah big cast big big budget but he started out as an icelandic like indie filmmaker yeah and it's weird it's weird to see he made a movie called the 101 Reykjavik, which is where I first, uh, uh, heard of him. Um, and it's weird to see these directors start with like things that feel very personal and very small and go on to be, to do things that are, uh, you know, seem more anonymous. It is fascinating to me the way Hollywood, you know, they, they get a a script for a, you know, serviceable film or just a shitty genre picture. And then they say, you know who we should get? this foreign over here who made this really touching emotional drama. <laughs> right. We need to sand whatever edges are off of him. Yeah. Uh, we need to, we, and bring him over and just, uh, we need, he has earned the right to a completely mediocre Hollywood career. Um, <laughs> and so, and, and I don't mean to so much of, of what I've, uh, of the list that I've compiled and it's actually a pretty short list, um, are, it could be its own episode, which is directors that I think of as bad who actually do have one good movie out there. Oh, okay. Um, that, so, you know, if we ever do do that, which we could, um, I feel like there'll be some overlap here, but I will mention, uh, a guy who started as an actor and now is primarily a producer director and actually a very successful one, which is, uh, Sean Levy, who directed Real Steel and Night at the Museum. Okay. Um, Real Steel, not unlike Under Siege, I think it's a perfectly serviceable film, but who, but who cares? I, I'm going to sound like an old man here. My, my number one problem with Real Steel, <laughs> it's too loud. Dave, movie if is, it's too loud, you're too old. <laughs> but that would be like scenes of a robot walking across the grass. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like the ATAT attack on the rebel base on. Hoth. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's so loud. Why does it have to be so loud? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Sean Levy. Yeah. He, he's made a number of things. I don't really like the night at the, he makes, I think very mediocre films, but I actually do like date night quite a bit i think it's a very i think it's a very effective comedy and it's and it's very much from that you know what it it feels in its in its own way it does feel like a throwback to like comedies of the night certain comedies in the 1980s where people find them just regular domestic often suburban people uh find themselves in the midst of a crazy adventure uh but in this case it's Steve Carell and Tina Fey, both of whom are very funny and they have a nice chemistry and they're this married couple that have a fairly boring life. And then they decide, Oh, let's, let's go on one of our, uh, go on a weekly date night. But even that has become boring where they just Mm -hmm. go to the same restaurant over and over again and they decide they're going to take a risk. And then that risk goes absolutely crazy. Um, and so, and a lot of it winds up being very funny and, but also throughout they're, they actually do grow closer to one another. And, you know, it's, it's weird to say this, but as somebody that's been married for a while, um, albeit without uh, children, I do know that there are times when it's not even, it's not that you resent the other person. It's just like, okay, I think I, I know the drill by now. And so it's very important to try to 
do something that, that changes things up if only for a night and then, or, or a weekend or something like that. And in doing so, it's amazing how much, how long of an impact that can have. And it's a film that seems to understand that. And, uh, and, and I don't know, maybe I don't remember if the film was particularly well received, but it has funny people in it. They're doing funny things and there's a, a nice emotional core and some nice character arcs. And the, the things that happen in it are absurd and ridiculous. And that's something that Sean Levy as a director specializes in. It's just most of the time, most of the time it's pretty vapid. Um, mm-hmm. but here, because it has a core, the more absurd, the more effective it is for these two characters. So, oh, um, so I see that movie. It's, I, I actually like it quite a bit. Um, here's one I'm, that'd be surprised if it's not on your list. Uh, the Blair Witch Project. Uh, it is. Not, I, it could have been on my list, but uh, it isn't because I haven't seen anything else that they. I don't think I saw anything anything well, else that they did. Have they done anything else together? Oh, uh, not that I know of. I, I don't know if they if they have, but I know the one guy did one of the uh, VHS, you, oh, you know, okay. uh, shorts. But um, uh, oh, I just looked up the wrong one. But uh, yeah, it's a weird thing to have a movie that's as um, much of a touchstone as a seminal as mm-hmm. the Blair Witch Project. And to not have them really follow it up with anything, but maybe, maybe they did make stuff because there's a number of things. There's a subcategory on my list that is people who made one movie that made a splash and have made other stuff, but has have never really had big careers. And I'm noticing uh, a bit of a trend here. Okay. Cause we talk about directors it's going to get him my um, social justice warrior high horse here now. Okay. Um, or not a high horse, but my soapbox. We talked about these, we talked about these directors who made like these little films and went on to make big things. Um, uh, and that, that applies to more modern examples. Like you've got Mark Webb who made 500 days of summer and you've got Colin Trevorrow who made, um, <laughs> uh, section not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Right. And they've gone to have had careers, but there are so many female directors that have made notable indie. Sure. Like, not necessarily debuts, but early films who have continued to make films, but have never really reached that radar Uh, on last week's movie journal, or I guess a week and a half ago, I talked about, um, uh, desert hearts movie by, uh, Donna Deitch, who has gone on to have a career in TV, but has never made uh, a big feature again. Last year, there's a lot of talk about Julie Dash's daughters of the dust, you know, um, uh, and, and she's also hasn't made another like feature that's really gotten her a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, and then one, uh, that I've wondered for a long time what happened here. Cause uh, I'm a huge fan of the movie Jesus son directed oh, by yeah. Alison McLean, who is, uh, not really, I mean, she's again, continued to work. These people continue to work. And I just wonder why, uh, they never made as big a splash again. Well, there's, uh, I'll respond with two things. Number one is given how often, uh, it winds up being a bad thing artistically for this person's career. Maybe that's a win. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure, you know. I'm sure they wouldn't, I'm sure they would have liked to. Sure. Uh, like, yeah. But the other thing is that so many of these movies are action films or, 
sci-fi big budget sci-fi movies or something like that and those are seen as the dominion of from an from an audience standpoint like okay we want to appeal to boys age you know teenagers and and early 20 somethings that's who we want to appeal to so what would a woman ever know about that because these films are actually very small and personal whereas something like i've forgotten his name already kong who who directed kong jordan Jordan, roberts yes uh he made kings of summer right which is very much about what it is to be a boy. And so clearly he knows this demographic, whereas like this, uh, these chicks over here, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, look, we're only going to make one sex in the city movie every few years. We're not going to, you know, when, then we'll call them on over, but, uh, I'm being yeah. facetious obviously, but no, but I'm, you know, I mean, I think that is a lot of the thinking, which is unfortunate. Um, but we're, I think we're seeing, um, and, uh, Tip of the credit where credit's due, tip of the hat to J.J. Abrams, of all people, who is um, um, with uh, with um, The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, also I'm um, assuming he probably had some hand in Rogue One. But like sure. uh, we're seeing uh, and maybe this is maybe this is Disney stepping up to the bat. But we're, yeah. we're seeing like the kinds of movies you're talking about that are perceived as being the dominion of, right. of boys um, with with female leads. And uh, wouldn't you know, they're doing gangbusters at the box office and girls want to buy the toys and stuff. And so, yeah. um, maybe that will be, uh, that will, will you know, uh, teach people a lesson. We'll get, uh, something, um, like a rogue one, you know, yeah. um, directed by one of these female directors who makes a big splash. Um, the thing I've always thought aside from the sexism is that these female directors, the mistake they made with their early indie splashes mm-hmm. is to m- actually make good movies. Sure. You know, as opposed to your Mark Webb's or Colin Trevor's or whatever, who made right. calling cards that were kind of like safe indie light movies that, you know, you could see with your parents um, and were maybe just kind of just auditioned to make the kind of movies they ended up making. That's entirely possible. Um, uh, I'm being meaner than, uh, safety not guaranteed deserves cause it's not that bad a movie. Um, it, it actually, well, it's pretty bad for the first third or so. Uh, but if you stick with it, it, it it's, it's not that bad, but I, David, so, you've given me an idea for an episode. Oh, that's fun. Indie light. Yeah. Oh, that'll be a mean one. That's going to be a, there's going to be a lot of negativity I'm already in that one. I'm sharpening my knives for, yeah. for that. That's a, that's a topic that, um, uh, does get under my skin. Yeah. Um, and it's something that it's, it's been around for over 20 years now, I'd say. And I feel like that's enough time that we can definitely do an entire episode about it. Yeah. Yeah. And now I want to, cause you know what? I gotta, re- I gotta release some frustration. Let's do it. Uh, let's All do right. it. Okay. Um, so next up for me, I'll mention, you know, it, it feels unfair to say it because okay. this actor to my knowledge has only directed two movies which is tom hanks oh he's uh, on my list for okay. sure yeah no i didn't see larry crown yeah that's, that's... For, but jen did she was actually watching it the other day okay uh, didn't care for it okay um, as tends to happen but he did make that thing you do which is uh when i made my most recent top hundred uh it actually did crack it barely it is number 100 um but that movie it's is a, so great. It's a great movie. Yeah, it is. It's you know what? It's the exact opposite of what I, as you know, I have a weird thing about when actors direct and I feel like, all right, give me their third 
if they keep directing, give me their third film because okay. then I'll be more interested. Yeah. But usually their directorial debut is when I, I roll my eyes because it's just this weird, either they're trying too hard to emulate directors they've worked with or it's, or they, they don't want to be too ambitious. Uh, and it winds up just being this very small indie, often indie light, um, a character piece or something like that. But something like that thing you do, there is such a command of tone. It is Mm -hmm. funny. It is, it's, it's not remarkably deep, but there is some nice insight there. The music is marvelous. It just, it, it has such a nice, it, not unlike a pop song itself. Um, it's catchy. It stays with you. It's probably not going to challenge you too much as a per- as a person, but it's not meant to. That thing you do is such a. I, I can't get over how virtually perfect that film is, if not actually perfect, um, from a character arc standpoint, from a from a production design standpoint, from yeah. and it from it, a Steve Zahn standpoint. Yeah, I feel like casting Steve Zahn in your film gets you sixty percent of the way <laughs> to perfect, right. and then what you other, what you do with that other forty yeah. percent is up to you. But um, but I do think that maybe in in maybe this is the most important element uh, of it and it's something you and I have talked about in the past which is if you're going to make a movie about art of any kind that art needs to be great especially if if a character is is good at something if they're a great composer or oh we've made a song that is a huge hit mhm well then obviously that song needs to we need to wa- exit that theater thinking of that song almost wanting to buy the soundtrack and wall to wall every bit of music in that film is great and i feel like if it weren't if it were simply fine we wouldn't be talking about it and isn't it, um the main guy behind it is the guy um from fountains of wayne yes um, whose name i've forgotten it's adam something uh, uh why is that it's uh, adam something i can't remember because he also uh was one of the people who um one of the many uh, uh, cooks in the kitchen uh, who mm-hmm. did the original music for the Josie and the Pussycats movie, which is also really good. Right. Um, fuck, what is this? I know, I could just look it up. Um, and so, and I will say that it, it does seem appropriate that uh, that we mentioned Tom Hanks here because the name of this episode is One Hit Wonders, and that's what this film is all about. Right, yes. Um, you got to uh, stretch for a little bit here because okay. I'm trying to remember this guy's name. So let's see. Adam Schlesinger. Okay, right. Schlesinger. Yes. All right. Okay. Um, Next up for you. Uh, now this is the now this is the last one on the list that, that I have that actually does fit the bill. After that, we get into some some more fun stuff. Okay. But um, and obviously there are people who disagree. But I think you're on the same page as me um, that Zack Snyder has only made one good movie, and it's called Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, that's on my list. Um, oh. it's, I only have seven movies here, and that is one of them. And yeah. and what's more, after doing that zombie commentary, I don't even love the new the new Dawn of the Dead that much. Yeah, that's a good point. I have the same feeling when we watched it because that was the first time I'd seen the whole thing. Like I've watched the opening, like up to the sure. opening titles, many times, uh, and so it, it definitely um, uh, lingers in my memory for that. But that was the first time I'd watched the whole thing in a long yeah. uh, time. We did that commentary, uh, and yeah, it's it's not that great actually. Yeah, but it is. It definitely, <laughs> and I think what what is good about it can probably be traced sorry that's not it can be traced back to james gunn but then right. zach snyder does 
do a pretty good job of of some of the, working with the action and having having nice moments of you know there's the guy on the roof of the other building right uh and them going back and forth and playing games and all that uh, i do like that um but and i know people love some people love 300 uh watchman has its defenders most people agree that man of steel is no good and batman v superman is no good but um but in watching dawn of the dead again for that commentary which uh by the way i don't know if you know this okay but at the very end of the commentary i I incorporated this, the song, uh, get down with the sickness. Um, I don't or wh- whatever that. it is. Yeah. Uh, as, as, cause it, it plays into the, the movie itself. Right. And throughout that commentary, we keep asking people to try and do that. Like that yeah. thing. And so, uh, just for fun, uh, I threw that at the very end of the commentary. That's uh, the note that we end on. Oh, that's funny. So, um, is it, is it bad that we may, that, uh, I put that on something that we charge for maybe, but whatever. I thought it would be a fun <laughs> Easter egg anyway. Um, but in watching it, uh, there definitely is more Zack Snyder than I remembered, you know, because his style with 300 just went through the roof mm-hmm. and then that just became his style. And while uh, I visionary do director, uh, he's a visionary director. <laughs> um, and, but you can see the, and so when I thought back on Dawn of the Dead, I didn't remember any of that, uh, any of that style, but in watching it again, it's like, oh no, that's there. Uh, yeah. some of the color choices is, are definitely there. Um, but it still is a movie that, um, that I purchased for the, uh, commentary. Um, and I, some movies that I've purchased, I've gotten rid of, uh, that one I'm fine to, to keep. Um, because it's, it's a film that I feel like I might throw in knowing that it's not perfect, but there are enough moments in it that are genuinely frightening or genuinely funny or just fun. Um, and it has that opening. Yeah. He tends to do pretty well with openings. I think, um, like, uh, Watchmen has, which is the opening is, is all him that I really oh, like mean the opening, the opening title sequence, te- title yeah, sequence yeah. is great. Uh, I thought you meant the, the, um, um, Ozymandias beating out the comedian, which is the, no, which is dumb. So dumb. Yes. Uh, it's where, like from the, it's, uh, I love Watchmen, you know, Alan Moore's Watchmen yeah. and that like sitting down in that theater and that scene, it was like, Oh, right from the beginning. Yeah. He doesn't get it. Like this is going to be a long yeah. two hours and 40 minutes of however long that movie is. It's someone who saw, who saw something that was not broke and took a big old hammer to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and said, I'm making it better. Look, I'm a visionary with my big hammer. Um, so yeah, it's, <laughs> I like that image. Just this guy just banging away at something like, yeah. no, 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 you, you don't understand. I'm a visionary. Um, uh, so what yeah. else is on, what else is on your list? Are we at the well, end? I did more talking about Dawn of the Dead than muted i'm sorry right uh, but I, I i have other categories i want to get into and i've actually oh, burned true. through a lot of mine pretty quickly okay. so we, neither one of us has many left so i'll throw out um richard kelly with uh donnie darko see two reasons i didn't put that on there okay i'm not sure that i love donnie darko okay and also i'm i haven't seen southland tales and i'm not sure that i wouldn't love southland tales i've heard that southland tales is crazy ass yeah um, which does intrigue me um but and so yeah this is based entirely on word of mouth um and i'll say this uh i have not seen donnie darko in years my memory for it because uh 
over more than one lesson, we just posted uh, an episode about Arrival with Donnie Darko as the companion film. And, um, and as I was making show notes, I realized, wow, I remember a lot of Donnie Darko. And I went through the script looking for memorable lines and stuff mm-hmm. and thought and saw that this actually is a pretty good script and, and it's dealing with some pretty good things in a pretty interesting way. A lot of really great characters, some, some fascinating ideas and yes, you and I were at a very specific age when we yeah. saw it. We were 19 when it came out, which is maybe the best age for that. But I do think some of its ideas hold up. And when I hear about Southland Tales and how piecemeal and crazy it is, as opposed to Donnie Darko, which is dealing with crazy ideas, but is very focused in the way mm-hmm. that it and consistent in the way that it deals with it. It's a film that I don't think that I think if I were to rewatch it, there are some tonal things that I might roll my eyes at. But by and large. It's okay. a film that, in my memory, holds up. But of course, so is Dawn of the Dead. So what do I know? Um, yeah, I, I should I should watch it again. I've, I've seen it at least once since this, we saw it in the theater. But um, yeah. But by all accounts, that film sort of made a promise that he has failed to deliver on. Okay. Okay. And then he did. What was the other one? He did the the box. The box, which <laughs> I seem to recall, our first live show. And I told oh, I think it, about this all the time. I told this over on uh, more than one lesson. Our first live show. Bill Dwyer uh, filled in for uh, an ailing Jimmy Pardo at the last minute. Um, That's right. Yeah, Jimmy was going to be our That's headliner, right. and then I, I think about that. he had knee surgery or something like that. Um, and so Bill came in, and he was talking about, he goes, I saw, I saw this film, The Box. Uh, no, he, he said, there's that movie, The Box, and where you know if you push a button, uh, someone dies. And my friend said, do you want to see that? And I said, no, nah, not quite tight enough. Uh, <laughs> that, that story's not quite tight enough for me. Um, but I just liked him, he was talking about how you wouldn't even have to get the entire offer out. Yeah. Like you get a million dollars, but one person died. Beep, like, beep, 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 beep. Yeah. And then he, he like, he keeps hitting the button. And he's like, uh, uh, how is, is traffic lightening up out there? Yeah. Which is so funny. <laughs> All right. Um, that's enough burning Bill Dwyer's 10 year old material, I guess not 10 years, but, uh, uh probably eight years. Yeah. years. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, now we're going to get into some that are more personal opinions. Other people don't necessarily agree with me. Okay. Um, so do you have that, something else if you that's want? the case, yeah. then I might need to just burn through the rest of mine. Okay, let's go. Okay. Brett Ratner. Which one? Red Dragon. Huh. I never not, saw Red Dragon. Not a good director. Um, okay. But Red a lot Dra- of people like Rush Hour. Okay. I would uh, say... I get it. Brett, I understand. Brett, Brett Ratner has made two movies that I like. Okay. Do you know what they are? Uh, are you a big fan of the family man? Uh, no. Okay. It's two of his most recent movies. Tower heist. That's right. And Hercules. Yes, that's right. I forgot those. those are See, I solid still, fun movies. I still think of him as a late nineties, early two thousands director, but obviously he's still working. Right. Um, yeah. and people, I think people did say that tower heist was, was pretty good. Um, so uh, you know what? I guess we are into personal opinion. I haven't seen either of those, right. so I can't speak to it, but of the films of his that I have seen, Red Dragon, when I first saw it, and of course I'm going to compare it to Manhunter, and it doesn't compare to Manhunter. Manhunter is better. But when you realize that this this is the third Anthony Hopkins Hannibal Lecter film, it was after Hannibal, um, but of course it takes place before Silence of the Lambs. So at this point, he has... The tone of the series has already been firmly established, and it is a gothic tone. And he, I think delivers on that really well. Um, and he made me forget, not in a negative way, but he made me forget Manhunter. He, 
and it's a film that I had seen a few times by then and I loved it and I like it more than any of these other any of the other Hannibal Lecter films maybe not more than the series that series is pretty damn amazing but yeah um but within only a few minutes of Brett Ratner's Red Dragon um he put me back into the world that Jonathan Demi created visually okay. and tonally and it's a really good cast and yeah uh i believe av club said that it treats the hannibal lecter scenes uh the way porn uh uses money shots Uh where it's literally like all right we all know why we're here uh (laughs) this is what it needs to be um and so uh so yeah it's it's shameless in that way but it actually in some ways it takes I, I don't. I don't necessarily consider Brett Ratner to be uh, a director of excess, but I also don't think of him as remarkably restrained either. But what he does is he takes his energy and directs it in this very a very specific path that tonally can be difficult to pull off, and I think he does pull it off. Um, a lot of it could be ba- as a function of the, of the actors, but it is a. It is a pretty good movie, and it's the only film of his that I've seen that I've really had any patience for at all. What else? What else? Michael Bay. Okay, well, that's curious, because I have Michael Bay on here, too, with a question mark or an asterisk. Okay. Because I think the only Michael Bay movie I like is The First Hour of Pain and Gain. Oh, interesting. Okay. The only... And I haven't seen Pain and Gain. I know a lot of people love it. I know a lot of people hate it. Um... The the only Michael Bay film that I like is the first hour of the island. Oh wow! I for, I forgot that movie existed. Yes, most people did. Yeah, um, I don't remember liking it at all. Not even the first hour. The first hour I liked as a sci fi concept, and and again it showed he is a director of excess. And I thought the first hour was remarkably restrained. It was actually some pretty good sci fi, and then it just evolved into just full on action. See, this is the difference between you and me, I guess, and how we're approaching Michael Bay is you like him when he reins himself in pain and gain, or at least the first hour is great because it's so indulgent. No, I, it's I'm him okay like with, indulging yeah. his impulses. The problem is that he spent himself after an hour. Yeah. And the movie like to go with car metaphors, the movie runs out of gas an hour yeah. in and spins its wheels for another hour. Nice. Um, but, uh, uh, that's why I like pain and gain is it's, uh, um, uh, it's not, it's not restrained at all. I don't, I don't necessarily like uh, a reined in Michael Bay more. So I like a focused Michael Bay. Um, and, or depending on what he is working on. And the idea of the Island is at least the first half of it is a very science fiction idea. Something we've seen before, uh, and would see well, literally very because r- that movie was, uh, stolen, right? From, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, what was it called? Parts, the clonus, something i don't remember that it was it, it was a was it a screenplay or was it a story that a guy had written i can't remember anyway any but uh, I think it was a movie but the was it an actual movie we're gonna look i'm gonna look this up please while you do talk. um but yeah so that needs to be science fiction and he actually does i think it's called parts the clonus horror <laughs> well i can that's a it's that's kind of an awesome slash awful title i'm not exactly sure but um are you looking it up now? Yep. Oh, and there it is. The Clonus Horror. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 1979. Okay. That's interesting. Starring Peter Graves. Oh, Peter Graves. 
obviously I'm only ever, I'm only ever going to think of him in terms of uh, airplane. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so I, I won't say reined in, I will say focused that he, he focuses his energy into creating this science fiction world. Uh, and, and I think I do like that quite a bit, but I've also heard that I, in many ways I would love pain and gain precisely because he is telling a story about, uh, of characters who are themselves dumb uh-huh. and, uh, excessive yeah. as people. And so yeah. he's like the perfect guy to direct this. Um, so yeah, I, I've, I've meant to see pain and game, but I still haven't. So the first hour of the Island for me. Okay. Uh, and then I do actually have one more. Okay. I want to hear it. Uh, is it just one more? Yeah. Uh, Michael Lehman. Oh, see, I was going to end with him. Oh shoot. I'm sorry. We can cut, we can edit that. No, let's you, 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 you mentioned it. Here's the thing. Okay. Cause I did some, re- I did, I like, I've, when we have a topic, I like to look up and see who else has done lists or whatever right. and see what's on there. See if I can get some ideas. And I saw Michael Lehman on there for Heather's. Yes. But, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to come out of the closet as a big Hudson Hawk fan. That's right. I forgot <laughs> that you like Hudson Hawk. <laughs> Uh, so it's unfair that people don't, uh, remember how awesome and fun Hudson Hawk is as a movie. I don't know. I, I, I watched that. It's been a few years, but I, I saw it when I was a kid. Didn't like it then. Oh, I loved it as a kid. I th- it feels like the kind of thing I would like as a kid, but I just, I didn't care for it for whatever reason. And then I saw it again a few years ago and I was like, confirmed. No, thank you. That's I, I sort of respect its audacity, but, uh, and I think I've t- talked before that I, on the podcast before that I do have a, a soft spot for audacity. And so, and I will, yeah. I will forgive a lot if a movie, um, you know, does things I'm not expecting, I guess. And, uh, or yeah, or, or goes places you wouldn't expect. Certainly a, like a major studio movie starring arguably one of the biggest stars on the planet at the time. Sure. Um, which apparently is how it got to be so weird is because it's essentially the Bruce will, it's a movie Bruce Willis wanted to make. Yeah. He has weird impulses and he was bankable enough that he just got to do whatever he wanted. There was a David Letterman, in the late nineties, early two thousands, uh-huh. I don't remember exactly. Bruce Willis was the guest and he came in and he had painted an eight ball on his head. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, weird impulses. Uh, an oddball. I, I, yeah. I like that. Um, so yes, uh, yes. Heather's is a fantastic movie and other things Michael Lehman has made like He's 40 big days in TV and, right now. Right. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I never saw 40 days and 40 nights. Or, oh, that's um, right. I did. Didn't he do the one, um, isn't there like an Ed Begley Jr. movie that he made? <laughs> well, let me think of how many Ed Begley Jr. movies there have been. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of some, <laughs> something else. Um, I mean, there have been, uh, he did, he was in Transylvania six, 5,000 and, um, uh, <laughs> other things. Yeah. So Michael Lehman did because I said so. Um, and yeah, a lot of TV, um, good TV as well. He did, but he yeah, did. I knew I wasn't. Yeah. Meet the Applegates starring Ed Begley. Hey, I remember that one, uh, where they're like bugs, right? Yes. Uh, he did I my giant. It. He did the truth about cats and dogs. He did airheads. Yeah. I it's truth about cats and dogs. I haven't seen in forever. I remember liking it, but again, that was it. Sure. The movie's, uh, 21 years old. It's, a, mo- it's a movie in the nineties starring Janine Garofalo. I feel like that's not going to be great for me. Um, huh. Is that fair? I don't know. I like Romeo and Michelle, which is a movie I didn't like at the time that I think is very funny now. Uh, that's um, probably true. Yes. 
uh airheads i loved as i watched Airheads so many times when i was when i was a kid i could i could quote i could probably still quote large sections of airheads to you it's not it doesn't hold up it's not a good movie (laughs) of course not my Uh, giant i didn't like at the time i guess i was 16 and seeing good movies by then but uh but that's the thing is like you know he directed an episode of the west wing he did stuff of uh he did the larry sanders show three episodes Um, of big love he did the comeback some nurse jackie some dexter yeah american horror story True Blood, yeah, a lot of a lot of TV. Good for him, but yeah. um, yes, but, uh, Heather's I mean, is amazing. Compares nothing even compares to Heather's as no. far as his, his yeah. films. Like it's it's just this weird. And I, regardless of what, how much you might like Hudson Hawk, I'm sure you would agree that it doesn't even deserve to be spoken in the same breath as Heather's. No, oh, yeah, Heather's yeah definitely deserves uh, to be uh, in. It's in the canon. Um, yes. is it in the canon for most people, or is it people our age? People definitely not just people our age, but people who were like me. I felt like it was like a, um, a lingua franca or a shibboleth for a lot of people um, uh, who were my friends. They're like, uh, oh, you know Heather's, like, yeah, um, and and who liked it, uh, yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I honestly don't know what the movie's reputation is outside of uh, people like me, outside of the misfits. Yeah. All right. All right. Now we're getting to some. These are. Uh, I'm done, so I'm. I'm and, excited to debate you on yours. Uh, I'll, I'll go. No, I only have a. Actually, well, I had four. I now only have three because you mentioned okay. uh, uh, Michael Layman, which is going to be my other one. Um, I haven't liked a Denny Villeneuve movie until Arrival. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, I don't know how you feel. You like Prisoners, right? I like Prisoners. There's a lot. There's a lot in there too. Like, yeah. Uh, there's some great performances. It's visually gorgeous, of course. I do like. There's a lot of things about Sicario I like. I'd say I like that movie, but okay. Arrival blows them all away, in my opinion. Um, and here's one that is a bit like I'm coming around. Like, I, I would have if you'd asked me a few years ago, I would have said this guy had more than one good movie. Um, but the more I think back on his stuff, I don't think. Uh, Alejandro Gonzalez and Aritu has made anything that good since Amores Peros. I don't think uh, 21 Grams holds up. Um, I never saw Babel. It's him, right? Yeah, I saw Babel. Um, and I didn't like Birdman or The Revenant. Uh, I feel like I'm maybe missing one in there somewhere. Beautiful. Uh, oh, I didn't see Beautiful. Neither yeah. did I. And, um, and it actually makes me think like, uh, does Amores Paris hold up? <laughs> Maybe I'm just saying I like it because I, I, I haven't think seen it, it in does. So long. I actually I saw it for the first time only a few years ago. Oh, okay, and I good. thought it was pretty great. Um, and here's the thing about someone like Inuri too, and it, it. So I'm about to uh, defend a guy that I think, in many ways, I think I would probably find insufferable. Um, there are things about 21 Grams that I really like. I love Benicio del Toro uh, in that film, and then. Um, Babel has its moments, but for the most part, it's, uh, I think it's Babel is sort of reminds me of David Mamet, uh, with red belt and that, or just, mm. or David Mamet in the last 20 years where even when he makes really great movies, the way he writes, he doesn't, you know, as I've said countless times on this podcast, he used to write how people talk, but now he writes how people talk in a David Mamet film. Mm-hmm. And so Amoris Peros and even 21 grams, uh, <coughs> the, the nonlinear structure of those films, much more so, uh, Amoris Peros, um, seemed organic. It seemed to come from a place that he felt passionate about. Whereas Babel, it's more like, Oh, I'm doing this cause this is what I do. Um, I didn't see beautiful Birdman is a film that, 
I remember I read a number of reviews in retrospect, not so much at the time, but in retrospect saying like, ah, this movie's incredibly dumb. And I remember thinking like, look, I get that in many cases it is probably not as clever as it thinks it is, but I'm not sure if I'd go so far as say it was dumb. I just sort of review, I wouldn't say that I watched it, but I did sort, I did recently review parts of it okay. uh, because of a little video thing I was doing. And it has really great performances. It does have very ambitious and audacious cinematography. Um, I, and I don't mean the constantly moving camera. I mean, uh, the way shots are framed, uh, they just, which are so, probably a function of the moving camera, but still, I think my problem with Birdman and the Revenant and a lot of people feel the same way is those, those movies are so strenuous. Like they're so eager to show you how, virtuosic their being or I whatever. See that. Um, but it, it, uh, it never, like it completely takes me out of the movie. Cause I'm constantly just thinking about how much, um, Inaritu and Lubezki are trying to impress me. <laughs> uh, and so I think even the stuff you're talking about is just a little, uh, it's, a, it's a little too much. And yeah, I think honestly, you know what I think would be best, honestly, for something like Birdman is if they go, Un, you know, unbroken shot every time he's in the theater. If the rest of it is shot like a regular movie, but once he gets into the theater, like the, the, you know, you and I uh, have done theater and on the night of a show, things can seem very chaotic and mm-hmm. almost surreal and almost on autopilot, especially maybe not especially, but I know as an actor, there'd be times where I'm on stage. I've made my entrance. I'm saying my lines and I sort of, it's almost as though, holy shit, I find myself on stage. Uh-huh. I don't think I realized that I was about to make an entrance. Like there's a certain autopilot element uh, to theater, but of course you can't live in that. You need to be very present, whether as a technician right. or, or an actor. And so if they had saved the, 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 the virtuoso filmmaking or camera work for just the theater moments, I think that would have been then it feels like they are making a very specific choice as it is. They made this choice that I think is interesting. And I think it's, it, it forces a certain crackling energy in the actors, uh, that I respond to greatly. But, uh, but at the same time, yeah, I appreciate what they're doing and I think it's interesting, but at the same time, I could also see what you're saying, which is look at what we're doing. Isn't it? Isn't it interesting? Um, and with the Revenant, uh, it's 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 a beautiful film. I think it looks great. Uh, I, I like. It's tough for me to condemn their choices or even their motivation for making those choices, which could very well be "Look at me, look at me." Mm-hmm. When the result is, especially with the Revenant, very beautiful. Um, and I don't know. It's. I got to say, and it's a thing I've been thinking about in regards to these two films and The Revenant especially, because so many online critics especially were so brutal uh, on the film that it's just like, yeah, it's ambitious and it it wears its ambition on its sleeve. Is that such a bad thing? How is this worse than David Lean, you know? who, who puts our, who chooses to shoot in the middle of the, of the desert, not an American desert either. And yeah. he wasn't an American filmmaker, but like chooses to make things but, as difficult for himself as possible. But his, but that's the difference. That's why I used the word strenuous. David lean has grace in his movies. Sure. They don't look hard. You know what I'm saying? 
like they don't look like yes if you step outside you go like well yeah they had to you know completely recomb the desert after every take to you know maybe you know you had to do that but that's that's not on the screen whereas i feel like uh inaritsu is too eager and it has to do with yeah that those those long unbroken takes um i feel like he wants you while you're watching the movie to think about how hard it is i think that's the difference to me I I could see that, and as you know, I tend to be very uh, against uh, one take, uh, long takes, you know, uh, long take shots, um, because it does feel like, like in um, True Detective, where it felt like they're just trying to show me how amazing it is, which immediately takes me out of the film. In some cases, it doesn't bother me though. Those. Uh, a, a single take shock shot only bothers me if I notice it while it's happening. The true detective, it wasn't until I went online the next morning and started reading reviews, uh, that I like, and then I had to go back and watch it again. I was like, Oh, I guess that was, I didn't even realize. Same you know, with but, like, um, the, uh, I'm going to keep talking about this movie because I'm on my mind so much lately, but the, um, um, uh, another day of sun, uh, the opening sure. of all oh, and I didn't realize at all that that was, uh, mm. one, one take. It still feels crazy to me that it is. Um, I, um, but I didn't, I didn't, if I noticed it at the time, like I did an atonement, it means that it's not working for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's you know what I, happens when I watched in read movies. Admittedly, by the time I saw true detective, I had heard of right. that. Yeah, um, sure. That's how I was with children of men. Like I went in, I saw it weeks after it had come out and all you've heard about was like, Oh, there's all these long takes. And so I was looking for it. And I had not heard of it with children of men, but uh-huh. that was one that I was, especially in the car. I was like, Oh, this is all one take. Mm, probably shouldn't have thought that. Or maybe I should have. I don't like this. Yeah. Um, Again, it's impressive, and I appreciate it. I appreciate the effort you're putting in. But, um, but I mean, I think the generally the motivation behind doing that is to be immersive, and therefore, yeah. if you notice it, it's not working. <laughs> but honestly, I do feel like it's immersive if it fits. It can anything can be immersive if it fits the emotional tone of the characters. And so, for example the one take thing in the revenant where there's that battle and it's craziness and the camera's weaving in and out and there's a definite urgency to it, but it's in the midst of a, of a battle and it's fairly early on in the film, right? Within the first few minutes. Um, and in that moment, I think I was aware that it was one take, but it wasn't at the front of my mind at the front of my mind was like, Oh fuck, this is getting me. Yeah. Um, not unlike, and honestly, that's why I say that with Birdman, if they had stuck with the one take thing only when he's in the theater getting ready for the performance, then it's just like, yeah, there's an urgency to it. And, Mm -hmm. and there's a certain surreal quality to a one take shot, especially if it's weaving in and out of hallways. Um, so and so I think maybe that's one of the things that about the Revenant, especially that doesn't bother me in, especially, uh, in talking with, uh, about David lean, there is a certain graceful element to David lean's films, but he often, he often tells stories about graceful characters. You know, uh, mm-hmm. T E Lawrence is a graceful guy as is Colonel Nicholson from bridge on the river Kwai. Whereas everything about DiCaprio's character and the world he's living in is the, the opposite of grace. It is, uh, rough and horrifying and, I don't know. It's so it's a thing that don't get me wrong. That, uh, that is a terrific defense. Oh, thank and you. It still doesn't work for me, but that, uh, that, that makes sense. Um, um, Revenant still was not in my top 10. I liked Birdman for a number of reasons, partially because of some of the themes that it was exploring, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, 
how do we get on this? Oh yeah. Um, so for you, Amoris Peros is his one movie. And for me, I would say that, uh, I, I do love Amoris Peros. I haven't seen 21 grams in a while. I really liked it at the time, but I was fairly young. Um, but I, and I, and I do still really like Birdman and I respond to a lot in Birdman. Revenant is a film. I'm actually kind of glad I saw on the big screen cause I think they do a lot of really interesting yeah. things. I'm never going to return to it. I saw it on an enormous screen. If you've ever been, I don't know if you've ever been to the, the WGA building on Wilshire, it's a beautiful theater and it's huge. Uh, that was, that was fun, I guess. Uh, last one for me, and this one's kind of a troll. I don't actually entirely feel this way. All right. But uh, I did want to mention uh, X2, X-Men United, as maybe being... Because the, there, are th- there are other Brian Singer movies that I like for the most part. Okay. But I think the only Brian Singer movie that I will 100% stand behind is X-Men 2. Let's see. I mean, I do, I, I do like the usual suspects. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I watched it again not that long ago at all, and it's um, I don't know. It, it's too uh, it, it's it's too neat. It's too convinced of its own uh, cleverness, um, and it doesn't actually. It actually is, I think, quite hollow. Yeah, oh, you, there's no question. It's hollow. It yeah, is. It is pure style. Yeah, and that so that. Um, worked for me when i was in eighth grade it does not work for me now i wonder because uh, earlier i was talking about you know james gunn uh with dawn of the dead you know how much of that is Chris- look ultimately it is brian singer's film yeah uh-huh. but you got that christopher mcquarrie script and he is a guy who certainly at the time was uh perfectly fine with with just being all style but you know but then i i think um i would have liked to see christopher mcquarrie direct that script because he can take stuff like the way of the gun, which is, I think in another director's hands could have been another, like all style and no substance thing. Uh, but I think he has this sort of, um, almost, um, Christopher Durang esque, um, like meta comedy to the way that he writes that. And I think when, when he helms it himself, um, like in, um, uh, the way of the gun or like in Jack Reacher, yeah. which has elements of that as well. Um, where, uh, he, he brings more out of it than someone who's just treating it superficially would. He directed the fifth mission impossible, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't see it though. Uh, I did. And despite all odds, I liked it just because as I've said before, anytime they announce another mission impossible, I'm all, I always think, what? Why? <laughs> Who cares? Despite my liking the last one, when they when Mission Impossible three came out, I remember thinking I, I don't give a shit, and then I saw it and loved it. Mission Impossible four, oh, come on, Brad Bird, all right, maybe, and then it's great. Fifth five comes along, and I thought I thought we were done with these, uh-huh. but it's great, and it and it definitely fits into what you're talking about from a comedic standpoint, oh, but okay. not. It's interesting because it's comedic, but not often laugh out loud funny. It's more just oh, sure. Yeah, you have to be on his wavelength to find it. Yeah, funny. The I mean, the hardest I've laughed at anything in his movies is a visual gag in Jack Reacher that no one else seems to even notice or find funny. Okay, but it's when he, the girl he meets at the bar, um, or or no, it's the whatever girl it says like refers to the auto parts store. Mm-hmm. So he asks, uh, I guess it's um, Rosamund Pike's character or whatever. He okay. asks. Um, 
if so, if someone in this neighborhood said the auto parts store, which one do you think they'd be talking about? Yeah. And the next shot is them pulling up to an auto parts store. The name of which is default auto parts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I laughed out loud in the screening room. And I don't think anyone else. Uh, That's great. <laughs> That's so funny to me. Um, anyway, uh, but will you, do you agree that X-Men two is Brian Singer's best film? Uh, yes, I think so. I, mean, I did like, days, is, I did like days of future past. Uh, see, I see. I haven't seen, and, um, the newer stuff. And there are things about Valkyrie that I like quite a bit. Um, yeah. Uh, another Chris McQuarrie, uh, yeah. movie, by the way. Um, and like X-Men is good, but it has, um, what has the problem we talked about with the comic with superhero movies a lot that the sequels usually better than the sort of yeah. clunky origin story. X-Men but, is definitely like finding its sea legs. There's and, no question. And it also has the problem that way too many, even to this day, especially Marvel movies, I think, um, uh, the problem that they have, which is sort of forcing its way to the big climax showdown sure. thing. Like let's, you know, let's make sure this happens at the statue of Liberty and like, let's make sure this is very, big and the money's on the screen. Um, and you can kind of see the the movie, you can kind of see the gears turning toward, Mm -hmm. toward that. And so, um, the, to go back to something we said on the movie journal, I think the, the action scenes in the first X-Men don't have, um, as much emotional heft as the action scenes in the second one. True. Yeah. And I mean the, the second one, it starts with that great night crawler sequence and then there's like the raid on the mansion and all that. Um, and yeah, and there doesn't, there isn't really a big climactic showdown. There's just a lot of different things happening in this one place. And that's actually something I find very interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would say that's the lone, good movie. And I, like made. I said, I know I'm trolling a little right. bit, like definitely. No. I, I, you know, like I said, X-Men's not a bad movie. I wonder, all. it's just, I wonder how many people, uh, especially our age, I wonder how many people would still defend usual suspects. I mean, I defend, I defend it, but there was a time when it was in my top five. Uh, oh, wow. and now it's nowhere near my top hundred, nor should it be. Um, there are great things about it. Yeah, most of them are Benicio del Toro's performance, <laughs> which I love. Boy, and and I like. I think Kevin Pollock does. I think all the actors actually do a pretty good job. But um, yeah, but yeah, uh, Benicio del Toro, yeah. who just clearly is like, oh look, okay, look, I'm not, I'm not in this very long, so I'm going to make an impression, and yeah. he sure does. Yeah, yeah, Kevin Pollock is is good. Uh, I feel like he's not like really in stuff anymore. Yeah, not really. I mean, he in the '90s, you know, he had a few good men. He yeah. had, he was in Willow, which was in the late '80s. Oh, that's right. He was one of the brownies with that's Rick right. Overton. I think it was Rick Overton who was the other brownie. I can absolutely picture that now. Yeah, I didn't. I, don't, I haven't seen Willow in a long time. Is it Rick Overton? I think it is because I think it was it was two comedians. That sounds right. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, there's the classic. Uh, usual suspects line uh you know they say yeah we can put you in queens in the day of the robberies i live in queens when you got a team of monkeys working around the clock <laughs> yeah. that's easy uh, yeah, yeah i think that's that line might be in the trailer but it's uh well delivered of course peak, it, yeah peak kevin pollock yeah it's a comedic line of course it will yeah. be well yeah really i live in queens <laughs> like it's it's very it's very like Jewish stand-up comedian uh, right, like yeah. Paul Reiser could have delivered that line very well as well. Not to imply that all Jewish comedians are alike, but there was a very specific. Well, I think that's a good way to end the episode. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I, I was listening to I was listening to uh, Never Not Funny recently, and Gary Goldman was on, and oh yeah, and uh, Jimmy Pardo was talking about a very specific cadence for comedians in the 
eighties. Uh-huh. Uh, and like Paul Reiser had it, Jerry Seinfeld had it, Kevin Pollack had it. And so he was mentioning it because the one person that didn't really have it was Richard Lewis, who he really uh-huh. respected. But there seemed to be this, they all seemed to kind of follow one another. And even though they were funny, there was a very specific fashion and a very specific cadence that, uh, that comedians came out of that, uh, yeah. was sort of rooted in like the Borscht belt and stuff like that. Um, you remember when we were talking about Christmas songs mm-hmm. forever ago? Um, I think of Gary Goldman every Christmas because okay. of his thing about um, we wish you a Merry Christmas and like the later verse of we wish you a Merry Christmas, which yeah. is now bring us some figgy pudding, uh, yeah. bring us some figgy pudding. And he's yeah. like, what do you, I don't just have figgy pudding on boil. <laughs> Man, he's Gary Goldman is, is, a comedian that I that I discovered only through Never Not Funny, and then he has a couple of a uh, couple of great stand up specials. But he's a guy uh, that. Do you know where I discovered first? But this pre Never Not Funny, maybe about the time Never Not Funny. I first learned of Gary Goldman from Torgasm, the Dane Cook. Right. Do you remember that? Yes, because uh, on the on the episode recently uh, that I was listening to, he mentioned that he kind of got his start and knew those guys and was friends with those guys, and I thought like, oh yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's Gary Goldman and Bobby Kelly, who are both super funny yeah. guys. Uh, Jay something? I don't even remember his his yeah. name. Uh, he, I don't think, was as funny as the other ones. But they're in the shadow of Dane Cook. Did you watch Torgasm? No, of course not. Oh, my God. You got it's. Uh, yeah, it's um, there's a lot of schadenfreude, I think, in in watching that. Like the tour bus, which, of course, that's not how comedians tour. Like, right. <laughs> um, but the tour bus is like, so it's like Jay and Gary and Bobby, like, sleeping in bunks. And then the back half of the tour bus is, like, Dane Cook's bedroom with, like, a king-size bed in there. <laughs> um, uh, uh, it's it's kind of ridiculous the the hubris of of torgasm and just this idea it's like if if you got really big and you went on some kind of tour a film criticism tour <laughs> sure. and you decided to bring me and Scott and whoever uh-huh. along even though I know that yes okay I know he's bringing us along but he also finds us funny we're friends oh <laughs> These are the accommodations. What's your room look like? And the very fact that I said room is notable. Uh, and like, okay, so we're not friends anymore. I'll do the tour because it pays, but uh, don't call me again. Yeah. That's, that's the vibe I would get from that. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, people should watch Torgasm. Oh. Uh, but, uh, yeah, with the... With an eye out for Schadenfreude, it won't be hard to spot. All right, uh, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. Um, that's where you can find all of our movie reviews and all the other fun stuff we talked about at the top of the show. There's more fun stuff all the time. Um, uh, that's at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com. Oh, by the way, if you have a, well, we're, we're, I don't know if it's up yet or not, but um, our, our our first of the new series of Ask BP videos. Should By this be, time, it'll be up. Okay, it's on the site. Um, if you have a question uh, for our video mailbag segment, Ask, B, Ask BP, uh, email it to me, david at battleshippretension.com. Uh, you can email Tyler uh, other stuff at uh, tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Davey Pretension, and Tyler is at Tyler Pretension. Uh, Tyler, your other podcast is called More Than One Lesson. What's That's going right. on? there well um the only thing i'll say right now is that we we've got a kickstarter project going on but uh, i talked about that in the movie journal so i won't talk about it here uh and then um our most recent episode is about arrival and uh i hear that's the only good uh denis villeneuve film word on the street yeah um 
you were talking about it on the street the other day is what <laughs> yeah. I'm saying. Uh, and then uh, there's uh, there are a few new reviews. Uh, I believe there's uh, Reed wrote about uh, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, more favorable review than, than others that I've okay. read. He went with his wife and son, and they both seem to really enjoy it. So I feel like that's probably notable. Uh, undoubtedly, you got... You saw that screening invite as well, which it's, it said you and th- up to three guests. Yeah, I've gotten up a, to a three. couple of those before in the past. I think I remember like because they're like Saturday mornings, which is always like yeah, 10 a.m. at the El Capitan. Like, yeah. it's crazy. I think I, I think I got one going way back to Mars Needs Moms, I think was one of those like bring your family uh screenings yeah and undoubtedly the whole idea there is you're bringing your family and they will provide and that will provide perspective for you as the critic right who might be more inclined to not like this but when you see how much your little kid likes it then you can at least say it's good for kids yeah um but yeah so that's that's uh, available at more than one lesson and then uh we have so over the last year, the, I have started a number of other podcasts that I don't host over there. So Reed hosts The Fear of God, Jacob hosts Salty Cinema, and then uh, Nate hosts uh, a, a one with a strange name, Thimble Riggs Arc, which is based on his, uh, his, his own website. And on that, he talks about Christian film exclusively. Mm. He talked about God's Not Dead, uh, but then he recently talked about this 1970s film, um, oh, okay. A Thief in the Night, which kind of kicked everything off, and it's oh. one of those rapture movies. And Nate is always very fair, very honest as well, uh, okay. as you need to be when talking about these films, and I really like his show. Have, have you guys talked about The Shack, the new movie? <sighs> no. I feel like we should, but at the same time, no. You don't want to? <laughs> it's... It, I like Octavia Spencer. I feel like uh, I feel like on that level, I might be interested in it. But honestly, one of the things that makes us see uh, a, a Christian film is if the Christian or a Christian themed film is if the Christian community is interested in it, and uh, they're not. Oh, okay. they have uh, the the bulk of the Christian community has rejected this film just as they rejected the book as like pure heresy because. While I'm sh- while I have heard the film is not very good in general, I will say that you know there's God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and they're depicted as these three physical characters. And then someone just on Facebook, I see people saying like, you know, it's it's heresy to even show the Holy Spirit as a physical entity. And I thought like, yeah, but God is all- okay. You know what? You clearly don't understand what art is, and okay. I have no use for you. And on that note, I probably should watch the movie, but I yeah, also don't want to see isn't it. Isn't there episode fodder in seeing something that the Christians Oh, are, of course. Did absolutely. you do an episode on Last Days of the de- in the Desert? No. Okay. You saw it? I did, and that's one I might want to do just for myself. It's a movie I just saw because I wanted to see it, it's and there's movie. definitely an episode in there. But with The Shack, honestly, it's just... I might wait for it to come out on Blu-ray because okay. nobody is seeing it in in the theater, and it came out at a time that I just wasn't able to to see it, much less get any of my co-hosts to see it as well. So, um, yeah, there might be an episode about that coming up sometime soon, but I don't know when that would be. So there we uh, go. All right. Um, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.